I made the decision that I was going to try to get in there and find him, and I'm glad I made that decision. And since I made that decision and, and, and went for it, things just kind of seemed to work out. And I'm a really, obviously, I'm happy they did because it was it was a tense situation and things all worked out. And I, you know, maybe it was God's hand, maybe it was just good luck, but everything worked out. Hi friends, this is Rob Cacuso, and you're listening to the latest episode of Nantucket Sound. We have a fantastic episode for you today, featuring N Magazine's Person of the Year, Nate Barber. Unless you've been living under a rock this summer, you've probably heard of Nate's story. This summer, when the Veranda House Historic Hotel in downtown Nantucket went up in flames, Nate saw the smoke. Now, Nate Barber has been a firefighter on Nantucket for years now, but at the time, he was just a civilian getting coffee. But when he saw the smoke, he assumed there was fire. He ran up the street, encountered one of the guests of the hotel, who said his son was in the building. Nate then climbed up into the building and helped save the lives of a number of people who were in there trying to find their way out. When he himself came out of the building after clearing it, he stayed and fought the blaze with his fellow firefighters. His heroics have been recognized by a number of community organizations, and so we wanted to really formalize his service to the community by putting him on the cover, and we're very honored to do so. Please enjoy this conversation with Nate Barber. gets to the heart of what it means to be a Nantucketer. Hey, Barbara, thanks for coming in, my brother. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you being here. And by the time people listen to this, your face is going to be all over the island as our first person of the year cover. And an inside story I'll tell people and why you're the right guy for this job, as far as being on the cover in this respect, was when I initially told you about it, you were, you were gracious and accepted it. But you also said that if there's someone else that you think would be good, I'd be happy to have them on there instead of me. You kind of represent the humility that we as a community obviously appreciate someone that isn't looking for accolades and yet has contributed so significantly to the community. And it's hugely appreciated, obviously, for what you've done in so many respects, not even just what happened this summer, but you've been a stalwart ally to Nantucket for a long time now. So just want to say thank you for sharing your story with us and for letting us put you on the cover this this month well thank you for the honor rob it's it's certainly humbling and i appreciate you guys thinking of me yeah no i mean i think that a lot of folks have you know learned a lot about you this season but we've also learned a lot about the nature of the fire department what do you think this summer did as it illustrates the importance of the Nantucket Fire Department and also just how it's a Herculean job. I mean, during our conversation, you, you kind of articulated for me, you know, just the incredible demands that you guys face and gals. Yeah. So the Nantucket Fire Department is relatively small for the size town that we are. We have approximately 26 full-time firefighters and a small batch of call volunteer firefighters, as they're called. So we do, you know, about 5,000 calls a year. That amount of calls is actually, you know, comparable to some pretty big towns like outside of Boston and on the Cape. And they do it with a much larger staff. And they also do it with what we call as mutual aid, where the towns next door assist the the towns and and they have an uh, agreement where they help each other out. And obviously just due to our geography, we can't rely on towns on the Cape in a consistent way because they have to travel over the ocean or, or fly in when we have incidents. So 
basically all of the fires and EMS calls that we have, we have to handle them on our own. And, you know, sometimes there's three people on duty and, you know, the rest of the people are pretty consistent in coming in and helping, but they are, you know, not at work that day. So for example, like at the veranda house fire, there was, I believe four individuals that responded, maybe five. And then the rest of us were off duty and we came in to assist the people that were on duty. So it relies on a small group of people to put out these fires and respond to the amount of EMS calls that we have. And obviously that you've seen throughout the years on Nantucket that we've all seen is that the the town is growing. There's more people here every year. There's more houses and there's more demand on this small group of individuals. Do you think that this summer was an outlier in terms of, I mean, obviously the veranda house fire is a historic fire, so it's already an outlier. But outside of that fire, do you say that there was more pressure on the fire department than you've seen in recent years past, or was it on par? Because it seems like maybe the news coverage is better, but you guys were very busy. I was actually just having this conversation with Jason a couple minutes ago, and I really do feel as though that it's busier. I felt that you know, COVID seemed like it, there was a kind of a pause. And then after, you know, the, the pandemic ended that it seemed like people started coming here. They started, you know, letting loose, maybe having a good time. And uh, we had more calls that were, you know, drinking drugs related. We had more calls because there was just more people here. We certainly had some fires. And so it does seem like these last few years have been busy. I don't have the numbers to, to back it up, but you know, many times while on shifts during the night, that's when you really start to feel as though that there's a lot of demand on the fire service. And, you know, when you're, when you're going on calls all night, you start to think that, you know, maybe, maybe the demand's there because, you know, in the past of being there for 16 years, you know, we didn't, we had nights where it was calm, where there was relatively few calls. And now it seems like it's a consistent through the day, through the night. So it, that's just my feel for it, but I don't have the, the numbers in front of me to, to back it up. And you finding like that they just anecdotally that it's also stretching into the shoulder season? Like, are you finding yourself more busy this time of year than you would years past? You know, last fall during the wedding season, I, I think we had some of our craziest weekends, you know, where we had calls. Really? multiple calls for the same wedding party sometimes multiple calls for the same person so these you know the wedding season could that could be the busiest time obviously you know pops weekend is a big one memorial day weekend fourth of july august seems pretty steady but these weekends in september and october can be can be busy when we were talking you know for the story that folks can read right now with the issue on stands we were talking about you know, what was going through your mind when you did first approach the veranda house and one of the guests indicated to you that his son was in room 224, I think it was. And it seems as though there wasn't a lot of thought. It was mostly instinct that took over. Would you say that's accurate? I would say that's accurate. And I made the decision that I was going to try to get in there and find him. And I'm glad I made that decision. And since I made that decision and, and, and went for it, things just kind of seem to work out and I'm a really, obviously I'm happy they did because it was, it was a tense situation and 
things all worked out and I, you know, maybe it was God's hand, maybe it was just good luck, but everything worked out. When you were in the veranda house and you said that there was a kind of impenetrable wall of smoke and, and darkness, where was fear registering on your personal scale? Was it, did you even have this mental bandwidth at that point to feel fair or is it again, just kind of running moment to moment? I think it was moment to moment, you know, from the beginning of trying to get into the building, I, I had kind of a couple of different feats to accomplish and I had to, you know, get on top of a table. I had to get on a roof, then I had to get another roof. I had to get through a window. You know, the window happened to be unlocked. The roofs happened to be just low enough so that I could really jump to the next one. So everything had just worked out to that point. And so when I was inside, I, I just felt as though we're just going to keep going and keep to the point where I, I can maybe find somebody or find this individual that was in there. So, you know, fear was certainly probably a part, but, you know, I blocked it out because I just was trying to accomplish, you know, trying to find this person. Right. And, and for, for those that don't know, but although many should know, I mean, you were basically in your street clothes and sneakers. I mean, you ran up from getting a coffee. You went in there without any da- turn down gear or anything like that. You were, you were pretty much in civilian attire. Correct. Uh, I was getting coffee on, on the strip, the coffee roasters, and I was with my wife, and I was not at work. I was just having a conversation with somebody, and I, I saw the fire, and you know I went towards it as well as some other people that were down there as well. What do you think that day illustrated? And I mean, after you kind of you get out of the building and your fellow firefighters arrive on the scene, what did that day illustrate as it relates to the capacity of the fire department and also the leaders within your ranks? It certainly pushed everybody to the limit of their capabilities. It was a really strong showing of the members and it was a great showing of the leadership of Sean Mitchell, who was is the deputy fire chief at the time and who was the one who took command of the incident. He was very calm and professional, and he's somebody that we all enjoy working for. So I think there was a lot of pride in what we had done that day and a lot of pride in what Sean had done that day in terms of leadership. You know, my story is really kind of a small part about that day. I was just the first person to get there. You know, in that day, we had made multiple entries into houses that were on fire. The house that was right next to the veranda house, four members went in and the house flashed over where members were in the third floor and the house got so hot that the smoke caught on fire while they were inside the building and there was actually an explosion and I witnessed it because I was standing at the door and members had to evacuate a building that went from a very small amount of fire to a very large amount of fire. Members had made entrance into the building across the street and that was an old house that was burning from every every corner because it, it had all these nooks and crannies that were hard to access the whole time they were doing this they were in, engulfed in smoke and you know one thing that happened that day was you know it, there was a little bit of wind but the majority of the smoke just stayed in the streets and stayed in the areas where we were and it made people sick, it made me sick, it made three other people have to go to the hospital. So they were doing all this in a, in a really toxic environment. And if you, if you think about buildings burning, I mean, think about everything that's in a house, the, the construction materials, 
plastic, you know, old lead paint, asbestos, who knows, you know, it could just be anything. And you're trying to, you know, physically exert yourself while you're in this environment. So, you know, people were tested and they performed. And, you know, I really wholeheartedly believe, and I just, I don't think it's an exaggeration, but you know, the Nantucket Fire Department stopped the town from burning down. I know that. And uh, that's not an exaggeration. That's a that's a very important thing for people to hear. And 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 my follow up to that would be, what does the community need to appreciate and understand as it relates to what this fire department needs? You know, overall, I think this community is very supportive of the Nantucket Fire Department. I can't tell you how many people, you know, looked me in the eye and shook my hand and uh, or gave me a hug. They did that to multiple members, not just me. And I think they understood that it was a big effort. And I think they understood that it came from a small group of people that, you know, put their community first and put their, put their lives on the line for it. And I think they get that. I can say that because I, I, you know, I live in this community and I've, I grew up here and these people have been very vocal. This community has been very supportive of that. And I think they understand that we, you know, probably need more help. And I certainly think that they're willing to help us. In, in terms of help, does that come into, is that manpower, is there resources, what type of help is required? You know, the, the problems that we face are probably similar to a lot of the issues that teachers have, nurses, police officers. And, you know, the, these are individuals that take a, a pretty unselfish career and they devote, you know, their lives and their careers towards helping other people. And, you know, it's unfortunate that they do this for their community and it, this community is just, it's a hard place to live with the cost of living. You know, we want to see firefighters be able to live here and we want to have enough that we can deal with these incidents. But we also, you know, think it's important that all of these types of individuals that really live these unselfish lives are compensated enough so that they can buy a house here and they can be part of this community. And I think that's, that's a common sentiment, you know, not just in public safety and healthcare, but, you know, in other sectors of this, this economy in this town is that, you know, the real estate is obviously extremely expensive and it's, it's out of the reach of many of these careers. All right, let's take a quick break from our conversation with Nate Barber and thank our favorite sponsor, Fiduciary Trust International. Everybody's journey is personal. And for those with significant wealth, it can be complex. Helping you manage that wealth across generations is what Fiduciary Trust International is known for. By the way, that's Fiduciary Trust International, not to be confused with other firms with similar sounding names. They were founded in 1931 by families for families, which means they've been helping families like yours grow and protect their wealth literally for generations. So if you're looking to make sure your family's wealth can navigate whatever the future may bring, visit FiduciaryTrust.com. All right, let's go back to our conversation with Nate Barber. You mentioned Sean Mitchell, and, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the leadership of the fire department today and, and how... You know, it's obviously kind of taken a circuitous route to get to this point. Where does the fire department stand today as it relates to the leadership? Well, the best thing about the fire department right now is is that Sean Mitchell is the deputy chief. And he is a leader in our department. I'm biased. I mean, I've been a friend of Sean's for the last 16 years, ever since I walked in the fire station door. We had kids at the same time. Our, our wives are friends. And 
he's somebody that I look up to. I, I think he's one of the greatest humans on this island, really. And everything that he's done for not just the fire department, but for, you know, he works a lot with elderly individuals and, and helps them through all things. You know, I mean, this is the type of person who would uh, go into some lady's house and feed their cat and bring them food. He served a lot of roles in the fire in the firehouse as a firefighter and fire prevention and as a as a chief, and he's somebody that we unanimously respect. No one I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about Sean. So the leadership is is fantastic with Sean there, and we have a new chief. I'm sure everybody heard the story, and Chief Cranston is is here. He's he's, he's a very nice man, and he's he's really trying to help us get to where we need to be i think he's a he's a firefighter's chief for sure and he he wants to see he wants to see us all be safe and he all wants he wants to see the department grow as it needs to grow so i think we're in good shape right now and i think i think after the veranda house fire and the the fire at east tristram that we had about a month ago i think it's become evident that we need to grow and that we need help and that these these people will will help us get there what is something that most folks don't know about the life of a firefighter on Nantucket? Like what is something that, and it doesn't have to be something serious. It could be just, you know, something that you'd only know if you were, <laughs> if you were in the locker room or something. Yeah. What, what, what goes into it? Cause I imagine it's, it seems like it's a lot of fun in, in a lot of respects. It is. And there's stories and a lot of them, I, I, I can't repeat, and I obviously can't say names, but, you know, my brother's also a firefighter, and he works on another shift. And probably on a almost daily basis, you know, we tell each other a funny story. And it's, you know, it's like belly laughs, because they're funny stories, and they're things that you see in the middle of the night, or, you know with your friends and, you know, interesting things that happen on this island that, you know, you get a, you get the front row seat because you're there first and you're there while it's kind of crazy. So, you know, on a, on a regular basis, we're telling each other funny stories and that's fun. It's, it's a fun part of the job and I can't repeat any of them right now. But. All right. Without incriminating anybody <laughs> or without getting too graphic, is there a story you could tell us that would illustrate your point about just the hilarity that you must encounter in that job i you know i'm gonna incriminate myself so i'm not gonna tell you any of them right now but uh you got to be a firefighter to find out and uh we're hiring so you know if i can sell it then then come on down and sign up good answer good answer when you were a kid what did you want to be when you grew up I never was the type of kid that wanted to to be a firefighter. I appreciated the profession. I respected it for sure. You know, my father was a contractor and a builder, and I always enjoyed building things and and making things, and I still do it to this day. So that's really what I wanted to be growing up, and I wanted to be part of my family business, which I still am. You know, I I became a firefighter because I had a friend who was one, and he told me about the schedule, and he told me about you know, some of the stories and, and it just sounded interesting. And he walked into the fire station, I think the next day and, and, and said, what do I need to do to work here? And I'm glad I did because I've enjoyed it since, you know, that it just kind of was a spur of the moment thing. And I, I went for the job. And after that, 
I've enjoyed it. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy I did. And you've got children. You've, do you have two boys? Is that right? I do. I have, I have two boys, Abe and Musa, and they're five and eight. And so, you know, when you, you're your father, you kind of think about, for example, you're trying to lay down for your kids. It's like a constant struggle to do the right thing. Like, what do you focus on as it relates to you being a dad and, and, and realizing that you are in this position that many kids' eyes, like many of his, many of your boys' friends' eyes, they look at a firefighter as a hero. You know, what are your thoughts on just what you represent for your, for your, for your kids? You know, that's a, that's a question I haven't really thought about before. So I might have a hard time answering it, but I will say, you know, after the veranda house fire, my, my kids saw me on TV and, you know, without anybody prompting them, they, they both said, dad, I'm, I'm really proud of you. And that's all, that's all I ever needed. So I, it made it all worth it in terms of that. But I, I don't think of myself as a hero. I don't think of myself as somebody who, who was trying to create an example. I, I just, I go to work like everybody else. And my job happens to be that um, I help people just like a lot of other professions. And they really appreciate coming in, man. And thank you for everything you've uh, done for our community and for sharing your story. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, absolutely.